0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in Western Wisconsin, outside of Ellsworth. And you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. So I've been um, I've been watching uh, Star Wars with Foster. Actually, um, the uh, one of the Star Wars cartoons and. I noticed something that uh, about watching that with him is that when you start it, uh, he has a really hard time, like the main question that he has, uh, and he just asks constantly, like the first time we watched it, it, the whole first half of the movie, he had just one question and it was relevant to every scene, and the question was, Dad, are those the good guys or the bad guys? <laughs> and and the whole time, so so you know, the stormtroopers, are those the good guys the bad, well, they're the bad guys, and then you get, you know, like Luke, and it's like, is Luke the good, is he a good guy, or a bad guy, don't worry, he's, he's a good guy, and, and he wants to know, like, as we're watching, because it's really hard uh, to know, he wants to know who to root for, right, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to root for the bad guys, and, and it's funny, um, you know, some of the Star Wars things, it's a little confusing, sometimes the, the stormtroopers are good guys, sometimes they're bad guys, and you try and explain that to him, and he's just totally lost. Like, he doesn't want to think about that. He just, he just wants to know, like, are, are, they, are they good, or, or are they bad? And, and so, and it goes for anything uh, that we watch. And, and it's funny, because I think as you grow up, you stop asking that question, um, and the reason you stop asking that question is because you get really good at um, kind of receiving the message of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in anything that you watch. Because our our world, um, we may not ask this out loud, uh, because someone is always trying to tell us who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. You know, and just like in the in, in Star Wars, to me, it seems pretty obvious that these really scary looking guys are are bad guys um, you know in the old westerns right if you wear the white hat are you a good guy or a bad guy come on you guys know this right a good guy if you wear the black hat in the old westerns you're, you're a bad guy it's really easy to tell uh, who's good and bad and and, and today um, we, we continue with that um, and every time you turn on uh, TV or talk to somebody and, and you watch fiction or or if you watch the news or if you um, listen to a politician or something, they're always going to tell you who who the bad guys are, aren't they? Uh, Most of our our political discourse looks like this. It's, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, and it doesn't matter what team you associate with or how you fill out your voter card. Uh, You believe, most of us believe, that one group of people is good and the other group of people is bad, and what we have to do is do something about that. In fact, um, you know, marketers and politicians and, and news networks, they, they play to this. You know, they, they want us to know who, who the bad guys are. And, and like I said, you know, while we may never agree as a country or as a world who's good and who's bad, it, almost everybody agrees that somebody's good and somebody's bad, and the person that's good is me, and the person that's bad is whoever, uh, whoever's on that other That other team. And you you notice this. um, uh, We we experience this all the time, I think, um, because we we treat good guys and, and bad guys differently, right? So, like, good guys, when a good guy does something wrong, right, the good guy made a mistake. When a bad guy does something wrong, he's evil on purpose, right? You know, they could do the same action, but if the good guy does it, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry it was a mistake. If the bad guy does it, it was a, a plan. You know, good guys, good guys can be reasoned with, you know, good guys can be convinced. Bad guys can can never be convinced or changed. Good guys can be saved. We root for the good guys. Bad guys must be destroyed or silenced or or put away somewhere, somewhere, somewhere far away. And and especially that one. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this in the way that we talk about things. Even in families, we start to break into to good guys and bad guys when there's, when there's conflict. In fact, uh, there's increasing like, cultural advice that you're like, you know, if your brother doesn't agree with you on this or doesn't see things this way, you should just cut off ties. Why would you associate with someone who's, who's bad? I think we're quick to find bad guys today, especially. We're, we're looking for stormtroopers <laughs> to eliminate and our, our cultural leaders, um, they benefit from that because, because then we're more on their side, right? Um, and oftentimes we'll notice that if people don't perfectly line up with, with me, um, it doesn't take long for us to separate them out and say, ah, oh, but they're kind of bad guys too. Um, and so I think we're, as much as maybe we don't like to admit it, I think we're, we're swimming in this, this black and white, good guys, bad guys way of looking at the world. And I noticed it when I came here. There were certain people in the community that people thought, oh, they're a, they're a bad person because they think that way. Or, oh, they're, they're okay, they're, they're not. And it doesn't matter, you know, it's all over the place. Well, fortunately for us, um, the Bible has a lot to say about good guys and, and bad guys. Um, but the problem is that what the Bible says about bad guys, sometimes the Bible will talk about our bad guys as enemies. Um, uh, what the Bible says, we have a really hard time believing. Um, of all the stuff in Scripture, especially as Christians, we have the hardest time, me personally, believing what it has to say about how we ought to respond to our Enemies, our bad, our bad guys, because our culture, our world tells us that bad guys should be destroyed, silenced, and opposed. But the Bible tells us that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And so, this story that we're looking at today, uh, this part of Acts, really dives into this. And so, for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, two different bad guys and what um, the Holy Spirit does when God's Holy Spirit encounters bad guys. Um, So this week, we're looking at a man named Saul. Uh, He's our bad guy, and we're going to discover, we've actually talked about Saul a lot already, and if you've been here the last few weeks, you know Saul is, he's like terrible. Uh, He he does all kinds of terrible things, so Saul's this week. Next week, we're going to talk about a guy named Cornelius, who... Uh, seems sort of like a pretty good guy, but he belongs to um, the wrong group of people. He belongs to a group of people that, uh, that the first church should instantly, for good reason, assume is a whole bunch of bad guys they want nothing to do with. But today, we're, we're looking at, at Saul. And Saul, um, I think even in hindsight, if we were around today, would admit that he is a bad guy. So here's what we know so far about about Saul. Um, uh, He's been busy. The first time he appears in Acts is when he stands by and holds everybody's coats as they uh, throw rocks at the first Christian martyr. He gives this big speech, and Saul approves of the killing of Stephen. Uh, The next time we hear about Saul, uh, the Bible tells us that Saul was dragging people out of their homes and actively destroying the church in Jerusalem. This is, this is Saul. Uh, and so it continues, Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 1 and 2, uh, it continues. It says, meanwhile, uh, this is after the church is scattered from Jerusalem. Saul is done destroying the church in Jerusalem. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Uh, uh, it's not, not good. So those are the good guys, right? He, he wants to kill the good guys. Uh, he went uh, to the high priest. So Saul goes to the high priest of the temple and he asks them for a letter. He wants them to write a letter for him that he can bring to the city of Damascus. And, he, and with this letter he's going to take this letter, he's going to give it to the, the religious leaders there and he wants it to say, hey, you know, Paul is is able to arrest people if they're Christians. So that's that's Paul's Paul's job. Paul's Paul's a bad guy, he, uh, you know. And at the time, he th- maybe thinks he's doing the right thing, but I think it's pretty obvious. So they, he asked for this letter. He says, he says, give me a letter, uh, and so that if I find any who belong to the way—that's one way of talking about the early church—whether um, men or women, he may take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul says, give me a letter of extradition. I want to come, find these Christians, pull them back to Jerusalem because they're, they're destroying my faith, Paul Paul thinks. Uh, so he does. He gets, he gets the letter, and he sets out on a trip. Uh, so, and the question uh, that this should be raising for us, if you've never read this before, if you don't know this story before, uh, Paul is, he's a bad guy. Uh, in fact, he's the worst kind of bad guy because we believe that the people who belong to the way are followers of the one true God, the God of the universe who determines right and wrong, who holds everything together. Uh, Saul uh, is opposing that. That's who he's standing against. And in our world today, if if Saul existed today, uh, people in the way would probably be thinking, what can we do to silence, eliminate, or send away a guy like Saul? And so the question has to be, if God is real, if God cares about his church, what is God going to do about that guy? Because he's wrecking everything. What do we think are supposed to happen to bad guys, enemies, and obstacles like our friend Saul? And of course, they should be defeated or killed or locked up or shamed or disappeared or resisted or fought. But they definitely need to lose and go away. You know, Star Wars... Uh, doesn't end with the stormtroopers winning. The bad guys have to lose. Uh, and so it continues on Acts uh, 3, or uh, 9, sorry, chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. Uh, let's let's take, take a look how it goes. So, uh, so Saul gets on the road. He's got his letter uh, to extradite. And as he's walking towards Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground And hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asks. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Uh, The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard a sound but didn't see anyone, and Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He didn't drink or eat anything. And so, so here we go. This is this is what's happening. So Saul goes, uh, Saul goes to Damascus. God actually steps in on the road between the bad guy and his goal, and instead of destroying him, uh, Jesus talks to him. Uh, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty surprising. And so Saul is faced uh, with, with Jesus. And Saul's lived, right, his whole life up to this point, like most human beings, 98% of human beings, assuming that he's doing his best and trying to do the right thing. Uh, and, and in this moment, he hears this voice. And he has to decide, right? Imagine if you're, you're Paul. You know, let's forget that, that he's, he's a bad guy to us. Imagine if you're Paul. You've spent your whole life trying to be as faithful to God as possible. There's this group of people that are spreading what you think is a dangerous lie and is leading people away from God. And you've dedicated your life to putting that fire out, right? To stopping it so that people can can follow God the, the right way. And, and you're sure you're right. You're right. You know, Paul, he's a member of a... a A political kind of pressure group called the Pharisees. They know their scripture really well. He's read his Bible his whole life. He knows what's right and wrong. He knows he's right. And in this moment, when he's faced with Jesus, Paul or Saul, um, Paul's his Greek name, Saul has to decide in that moment when he hears Jesus' voice if it's possible that he could be wrong. Um, I don't know about you, but there aren't that many times in my life that I've been fully convinced about something and someone was able to convince me that I was wrong. Uh, but, but Saul does, he, 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 has a soft, he has a soft heart. Uh, he talks to Jesus and, and we'll see what happens next. So here's Saul, um, just to continue the story. He's sitting in Damascus blind. So now if you remember, Saul got a letter, everyone knows this, he's going to Damascus to persecute Christians, he arrives in Damascus blind. And and meanwhile, a a good guy gets a vision from Jesus, too, in verse 10. It says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, Uh, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, now, you know, they don't have that, but, but Ananias knows who Saul is. He's heard the stories. He knows what happened to Stephen. Maybe he came to faith because of one of those people that, that Saul kicked out of Jerusalem. Uh, Ananias knows who this man is, and he knows that he's coming to Damascus with a letter so that he can arrest people just like Ananias, so he can crush the church. And so Ananias um, responds in what I think is like the most reasonable way anyone responds in this whole passage of scripture. He says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and that he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Lord, I don't know if you know this, but Saul... Saul is a bad guy, (laughs) and and if he's not doing well, it's probably good for us, good guys. And the last thing I want to do, Ananias sort of sort of implies, is go set foot in the house of the guy with the order that says he can drag me back to Jerusalem. I mean, imagine imagine this is you. Imagine somebody that poses a genuine threat. You know, not like today where. We're calling people bad guys all the time. Saul has, like, actually hurt people just like you. Uh, Saul came to Damascus to hurt you, to hurt me. Imagine, you know, that the enemy, your, your chief enemy is in town, and God is asking you to come and help him out. Uh, you know, I think I would have a little pushback, too, right? <laughs> uh, it continues. God responds in, in verse 15 and 16. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I kind of like this a little bit because it's almost like God says, you know, I know Saul's a bad guy, and, and he's going to pay for it when he's working for me, because he's not going to have an easy life. Uh, uh, but here's Ananias. God says this to him, and in a moment, Ananias, right? He's got to get. He's got to get over it uh, with his enemy. He's got to get over his fear, his anger towards Saul. Otherwise, uh, God's going to need to use someone else. Uh, it concludes this way in verse 17. So Ananias, uh, it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Because at the end of the day, even if it's crazy, if God tells you to do something. You just, you do it. And so Ananias does. He goes to the house. He places his hands on Saul, his enemy. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. To me, that's a, that's a, a miracle. Uh, that's something that, that doesn't happen without God's direct involvement. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, now, I, I love this, this story in Acts because so much happens, right? Right? In, in one road trip from Jerusalem to Damascus, Saul goes from being the worst person, the biggest enemy of Jesus, the biggest enemy of the church, the biggest enemy of God's mission, and, and if you know the story of Saul... Uh, and he also goes by Paul, uh, he's the one that goes on to do more for the mission of, for God's mission in the world than maybe anybody else besides Jesus. Without Saul uh, or Paul, um, y- you may not even have uh, Gentiles coming to faith. Without Saul or Paul, uh, you don't have most of uh, Christian theology, which is based on some of the letters that Paul, Paul wrote. Um, without this trip, and without this intervention, in this uh, uh, Ananias coming to show love to his enemy, Jesus setting up and standing right in front of the worst possible person, and offering his grace and transformation. And none of this exists. Like our 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 um, our faith, it rests on events like this. Uh, but but here here we are, and, and I and I love this because uh, you're right. The guy that left Jerusalem dragging. Uh, Christians out of their homes, he returns, uh, and, and it's funny, in verse, uh, verse 19 and 20, uh, it says, after taking some food, he regains his strength. Saul sent several days in Damascus with the disciples, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God, the guy that has a letter to capture people that say Jesus is the son of God is holding on to that letter in his back pocket and preaching that Jesus is Lord. Uh, And in one moment, the church's greatest enemy in uh, one encounter of Jesus becomes its greatest asset. And so I think as as a Christian, as somebody who believes that that God's word is true, is is real, um, I think if, if we're gonna believe this, um, there are three um, uh, somewhat uncomfortable possibilities that we have to consider. Uh, they're uncomfortable, but they're also full of uh, life and joy and grace and, and the goodness of God. And so uh, th- these are them, and you can, you can write these down if you want, but I've been wrestling with uh, these all week myself, and the first one is this. Uh, I believe that this tells us that it is possible to be reading the Bible every day to be worshiping God, to be certain that you're following God's will and that you're a good guy, and still be doing evil. Uh, that's, that's Saul. Saul is doing what he thinks is right. And this, uh, this scripture tells us that it is possible to be certain you are right, that you're a good guy, and be actually doing evil like Saul was. Uh, second, It is possible for our worst enemies to be made new, just like Saul. Uh, Not only is it possible to think you're right and and be wrong, it is possible for the, and not just the kind of fake halfway, like I think that person's a bad person because they disagree with me on this, but but like real enemies that pose a threat to you or to me, um, Saul was somebody that was going to hurt good people uh, this isn't an accent. Saul was was he was doing evil. Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And so this tells us that it is possible for our worst enemies, for the the bad guys, to be made new, and that means that the person maybe that, that I've written off or that you've written off as as lost or unconvincible or hopeless or too far gone or will never uh, see who Jesus is, that person uh, is, is one meeting with God away from Saul-like transformation. And finally, I, I think this is important too, uh, finally, it is possible that God might use you to serve, show love for, be there for, or heal a dangerous enemy. Uh, This scripture tells us that there are people like Ananias, that God calls people like Ananias to step into the room of a hated enemy and show them love and care because you believe that God is bigger than whatever rivalry we have with that person. And I think if we're honest and we look at these three things, and I know for me, uh, uh, growing up and and even now, uh, there's a big part of us, there's a big part inside our heads that look at this and say, okay, pastor, but what about if someone really is bad? And I think that's because human nature, our our sinful nature, it it only has one answer to evil, and that's if you want to destroy evil, you've got to be evil at them. Human nature says, destroy the bad guys, defend the good ones, punch the bully, execute the criminal, eliminate the enemy, marginalize the rival, isolate them and push them away because the only way to deal with evil is to respond to it with evil. But the Bible shows us that it's possible to think you're good and be doing evil. It's possible that your worst enemy might be transformed into your best friend. And it's possible that God will use you to serve or love someone else. Oftentimes, our cultural narrative, our cultural belief, and I don't care where you sit politically or culturally or whatever. I see Christians that hold this. I see Uh, atheists that hold this. I see Jewish people that hold this. I see Muslims that hold this. Our cultural belief about evil is that it can only be fought with evil. That fire must be fought with fire. But that is not what the gospel says. Because the greatest enemy of the church the greatest enemy the church knew in Acts would one day write in the book of Romans, he'd write Bless those who persecute you and don't let evil conquer you. Instead, conquer evil by doing good. This is a hard truth. Um, and, I, and people often say, oh, you know, you know we're never focusing on the, on the hard truths of Scripture. This is a hard, difficult truth of Scripture. Most people even Christians will ignore it. They'll explain it away. They'll reject it. But it's at the heart of the gospel that God defeats evil with good. That Jesus, to destroy the evil in the world, came down to the earth and he spread his arms out and let evil crucify him. Jesus died on behalf of his enemies, just like us. Because the truth about the story of Saul in Paul, isn't that he was uniquely bad and evil and distant. It's that all of us were at one time God's enemies. And because Christ died on our behalf, we could be made into a child of God. And if we can, if I can, if you can, if Saul can, then anyone Can even our worst enemy? Um, We talk about the Jesus talks about the way being narrow, the way to life being narrow, and I think this is one way that the way to life is narrow. So, so I I don't know where you find yourself in this in this story. I don't know if you have people that you think of as enemies. I don't know if you're, uh, and I and I would argue that it's impossible to get away from this. I don't know if you're watching things or reading things or listening to things where someone's trying to convince you that someone is your enemy. Um, I think you'd have to be living in a cave to be avoiding those kinds of messages, if I'm being honest. I don't know if you feel like Saul or or Ananias in in this story, or maybe somewhere in between, but I think we're invited, um, we're invited to do what, what God calls, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And so, I just, as thinking through this, um, wrote down three prayers that we could pray, and maybe you choose one of these prayers, and I challenge you, encourage you, like me, to, to pray it every day, every day this week. Uh, so I don't, I don't know where you are, but let's, this is our invitation to, to respond by praying. One of these, I think these are pretty dangerous prayers to pray, though, so like, be careful, maybe God will, will give it to you, but the first one is, is this. I I would call that kind of the prayer of of Saul. Because the one thing that Saul had, even though he was an enemy of of Jesus, he had a soft enough heart to be convinced. And so that's the first prayer is, is, Lord, soften my heart. Show me where I'm wrong. That verse is is Psalm 139, uh, 24. It says, Lord, point out any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of of life, And so maybe that's your prayer for this week, I don't know. Another one uh, is maybe this. God, help me to love an enemy, an opponent, or an obstacle today. And, and maybe you don't have any people like that, but I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that just about everybody can think of one person that they think of not necessarily as an enemy, but somebody that gets in the way of what they want to do. And so maybe we say, Lord, help me to love an enemy today. In a practical, real, risky way. Romans 12 is all about defeating evil with good. And finally, um, and maybe you've never prayed this prayer before. Maybe you're like Saul and, and, and you need to pray this today or this week. God, I have been your enemy, but because of Jesus, set me free and make Mean new Because Jesus died on a cross, and, and the reason why we have an, an implement of death on our wall is because we believe that Jesus died on that cross uh, on behalf of enemies like us. And that anyone who, who might have done things or might feel like they don't belong or might even feel like they're God's enemies um, can be forgiven and made new because the truth of the matter is that all of us as human beings are fallen, all of us sin. All of us uh, have been wrong sometimes. None of us are able to be the good guys on our own because the truth is while our world breaks the world into good guys like me and bad guys like you, the reality is that all human beings are opposed to God until we accept the grace of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you need to say, Lord, I've been your enemy, but because of Jesus set me free and make me new. I want to thank you, you guys, and let's, let's, let's pray together. Should we? Lord God, you took the worst person, one of the um, most destructive influences in the whole book of Acts, one of the people that was set up and dedicating his life to stopping your work, to destroying people that loved you and to stopping them from spreading the good news of your son as death and resurrection. And Lord, for some reason, instead of shooting him with a lightning bolt or blinding him (laughs) to stay on the road alone forever or stepping in and isolating them or proving him wrong in a big debate, instead of all of those things, Lord, you put your feet in front of him, you stepped on the road in front of him you stopped him, and you offered him a chance to be transformed. And we know, Lord, that you offer that same thing to us when we are your enemies. And you offer that same thing to everyone that we think might be so far gone, they can't change. And so we pray, Lord, that you would lead us to be like Saul and have soft hearts and open ears to hear your voice, that you would lead us to be like Ananias, to show your love and care even to people that are dangerous enemies. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to put our faith in you alone, not in our own goodness or our own comparisons with others. We thank you, God, for your Son, for his death and resurrection to defeat evil. And we pray, Lord, that you can form us by your Holy Spirit to see and live in the world in the way that you see it. In your name, amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCov.org. Thanks and have a great week.